Hi, this is Christina Dam, and this is Liberate the Podcast, where we educate, motivate, inspire, and liberate your consciousness. Hi there, welcome to another episode of Liberate the Podcast. Today we have a guest joining us all the way from Hawaii. His name is George Hunter, and we are going to talk about healing our bloodlines and, you know, really how to heal that generational pain. And so I'm excited because this is like a lot of us carry this lineage of pain from so much of our our family and our roots and our origins. So I'm, I'm excited to learn a little bit more about George's eight-step process that you do. And I know that you've written a book and many other things. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Aloha from Oahu. So George, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? I mean, besides being an author and coach and everything along those lines, I'd love for people to know a little bit about you. Sure. Well, when I'm not um, out there trying to save the world, I do as I surf. Ah. I would surf. Um, I love uh, the big waves on the North Shore. So I'm one of those people that, you know, loves nature, goes out there, has a good time on the waves. Uh, if I'm not surfing, I uh, like to go hiking to the different peaks here on Oahu. And I take my camera with me and I, uh, I you know, posting on Instagram is a hobby for me. I like doing photography. Uh, so, you, you know, that's what you'll find me doing if I'm not uh, making a movie or, you know, going around talking about this healing our bloodlines topic that uh, just seems to resonate with people from all different backgrounds. Yeah. And where did you first get into healing your bloodline? That's a great question. I think I started with my own family. You know, every family has its unfinished stories. The way I look at it is our ancestors they have their own wishes, they have their own desires, the things that they wish that they could have done. And, you know, if you've lived a very full life, maybe you'll get to do most of those things. You know, and a good life is you get to do most of those things. Mm -hmm. But and you don't get to complete that, they have a way of kind of getting passed down to the generation. So in my family, um, you know, there were certain things that were passed down to me, expectations, I was the first one to go to college on either side of my family. So there were certain burdens that I inherited. Uh, burdens aren't necessarily a bad thing, mm -hmm. but um, it's best if you are aware of them so you can choose whether you're going to hold them or release them. So I started off looking about this stuff with my own family. But when you're on the inside of it, you really can't see from the outside perspective what it is that you're carrying. Yeah. That's why I call these unfinished stories the invisible burden. We all take it on. We all get these unfinished stories from our ancestors. And so I was very curious about this when I was working with my clients. Now, I got invited by a doctor named Dr. Aviva Bernat. Okay. She happened to be British. She was living in Los Angeles. Uh, she was living in Los Angeles, and she asked me to fly out to work with her community. Well, I didn't know it at the time, but families that had survived the Holocaust had started coming to me for personal sessions and my workshops. It was with the, the Holocaust surviving families that I realized that there were these burdens that they were carrying that they couldn't see, but they could feel them. Okay. They were the first that revealed it to me where the invisible burden first became visible. Ah. And 
realized, okay, this is not just because of World War II. You know, every family has a story, whether you're a seventh generation of a family that survived the potato famine in Ireland, and you came to the United States, you know, like, you're always wondering, like, oh, we had enough money growing up, but my mom always saved all these pennies. Why did she save all the pennies? Well, that's because she grew up in a family that, that had to, like, conserve. You know, they had to conserve because the potato famine happened. Yeah. They had to come to America because they couldn't eat. So everyone has these rich story families. It just happened to be the Holocaust survivors. They're the first ones who taught me about it indirectly. And then I just started looking everywhere I went. I was like, oh, I get it. Every family has unfinished stories. And it's up to the younger generation to become aware of those stories. So you can decide whether or not you're going to release it and suit your own path, or if you're going to carry that task and complete it. Yeah. You know, it, when you're aware, you get a choice. But I, I haven't met anyone yet, even people who were born in millionaire families, I have not met anyone yet that has not inherited some kind of burden from their lineage. Yeah, of course. I mean, we're living in a world of duality right and then so there's there's a negative to every positive and positive to every negative right and so they're different for different people but there's always going to be some form of challenge or obstacle that we need to overcome right in some way shape or form for sure so now now when you first started you know you were mentioned that you came over to los angeles to work with these groups uh so at that time you were doing you know some therapy work and coaching work what what were you really doing and how did you get into that in the beginning like what drove you into saying okay this is what i want to study sure i i consider myself an intuitive healer in modern times the way i would say it is back in the old days we had um healers healers that would you know, have different modalities. Some use herbs. Some are called bone setters if you broke a leg. Some people would use counseling or dream work. And then for me, it was more about when I put my hands on top of people, my hand got really hot. And afterwards, when I put my hands on places in their body that had pain, afterwards the pain relieved. Mm. So on, that was always happening when I was a kid. And later on, I went for a formal training uh, through apprenticeship style. Now, this old world style of healing, it tends to uh, be passed on in small groups, not necessarily large schools. Uh, so the, the styles that I learned um, were basically about seeing what it is that we internalize in our bodies, how our bodies held on to it. So I was doing a form of energy healing with these early clients before I developed bloodline healing. Okay. And so you were doing that, and then you noticed this invisible traits that were becoming visible when working on these groups. Yeah. And you said, okay, wait, there's something to this. People are carrying these unconscious or invisible burdens, and that if we can help release those or get those off of people, it can form a lot of healing and transformational aspects in their life, right? And so you created yeah. this You created this eight-step approach, though. So, like, take me through, like... Uh, seeing this invisible become visible and where you decided that you wanted to deep dive further in it to develop your own type of uh, healing protocol? Sure. Well, I would say the first three realizations are the most important. Um, They're the ones that deal with the burden directly. And after that is what you do after the burden is off. 
the first realization is really you have to slow down enough. You have mm -hmm. to slow down enough to be able to even detect the burden. Most people have very busy lives. They're running from one thing at work to the next. They're stuck in traffic. They're losing time, so to speak, and they want to hurry up and get somewhere. But every human being has the capacity to be in what I call survival mode. Now, obviously, if you're homeless on the street, the survival mode is pretty apparent. If you're a highly functioning professional mm -hmm. and you're juggling kids and work and all that, it's harder to tell because by outward appearances, you're highly successful, you're making it money, you can choose what you want to eat that day, you have a roof over your head. It's hard to think of yourself as being survival mode. Yeah. But things happen in everybody's lives, deadlines, Works a funeral can happen in the family. Any of those things can put us into survival mode. And where that is, is you kind of get this tunnel vision where all you can do is focus on one specific task at a time, and you, you can't see the bigger picture of your life. You don't necessarily taste your food fully. You can't really appreciate the sunrise as much as you would like to. Mm -hmm. And you just can't see the picture of your life and what you're doing thing. These are all signs that you're in some kind of highly functional form of survival mode. So we have exercises that we do to get out of that. You get out of that and you're just present. Just mm. ground. Whatever it is you do, meditation, yoga, for me I do a lot of surfing, whatever it is, ground. Then you can start feeling the burdens of detecting my specialty is, I basically consider myself an empathy specialist. I connect to the person, I help them realize what it is that they are carrying themselves, help them put words to it. Okay. And then we tie it to the family tree, so it's not just some kind of, you know, guided imagery, visceral experience, there's, there's a story behind it. And what I do is I help people understand the story. Hmm. For instance, had one person who, uh, his father was a lawyer, but his father loved to draw, and he even got um, one of his drawings in Disney, you know, like one of his drawings made it to Disney in, in one of their things, and I was like, wow, how is it that, you know, your father didn't end up being like a, a comic artist? He said, well, his parents told him he could be a lawyer because that's some serious work, and so he became a lawyer, too. <laughs> but he really, he loved theater. That was his art. So a lot of it is about recognizing that the burdens are tied to the expectations of families. If we can understand and see through the family tree how these expectations and weights get passed out, then all of a sudden there's the aha moment. You're like, ah, oh, now I see where this came from. This didn't come from deep inside my soul. I didn't long to be a lawyer, although some people do, and that's great. But in this particular case, he didn't want to be a lawyer. Yeah. He wanted an artist. He wanted to be a lesbian. That's what was in his heart. So usually what happens is we get these burdens of what we should do. And then in our hearts, there is that feeling of what we really want to do. I get people to recognize the difference between those voices. And then once you see this burden, you're like, all right, what do I got to do to complete the task here? Or do I need to release this burden? Maybe it's somebody else's job to take care of it. 
Mm-hmm. And is there like a process that you take people through to identify what their burden even is? Yes. I usually start off with the family tree. And what we do in the family tree is we stand for gifts and burdens. Okay. So I them start off talking about their family tree. Where did your family come from? What did your what do you know about each person on the family tree? And every time there's there's never a time that someone's in with the family tree and they don't have some kind of realization. It's, it's kind of hard not to realize things when you're looking and naming people and showing old photos. Yeah. And we put the burden and we look for the gifts. Now, some of our ancestors, usually our favorite one, will, will resemble them in some way. Like my great-grandfather, for instance, was a drawer. He, he loved to draw things. I'm an artist, too. It's something I do in my free time. Um, so I feel a positive association with that. Hmm. And there's other things in our family tree that can feel very heavy. So usually the heavy things, the heavy stories are the burdens, and the light stories are usually the gifts. And we inherit a mixed bag of both. So I start off with the family tree, and once I hear a story that sounds heavy, I start honing in on that. I say, all right, let's, let's pick this apart. Let's find the burden. And then I have them connect to their bodies and do a body scan to see where they're holding that burden on their body. Interesting. That's the fascinating thing about this work is that burdens are very specific to our parts of our body. Some people get an ulcer because they hold a lot of stuff in their stomach. Other people have neck pain and they hold a lot in the tension and the burdens up here. Some people have lower back pain and one particular shoulder, it's, it's different for everybody. But when I have them talk about the story, I ask them, where do you feel it? Where do you feel the burden as we start talking about it? And then we can either do energy work to that or we'll just keep talking about it until you know the emotions start flowing. Ah, so, so then from identifying this burden, then you, you work on releasing, getting the emotions to flow. And then what's next? What's that next step? The next step is the unburdening. Okay. The unburdening is when you become aware enough of a burden that you're carrying that you make a decision. And your decision is, what am I going to do about this? Mm -hmm. So um, the burden story is very important for deciding this part. And this is where it's not cookie cutter. Okay. There's step, hard steps up to this point, and this point is really individual choice. For instance, if someone dies and on their deathbed they say to you, I want you to finish my book. Oh, wow, that's a big responsibility. All right, I'm not that great a writer, but you want me to finish your book. Well, that's a burden on your shoulders. Yeah. And it's really hard to say, no, Grandpa, I know you're dying, but I'm not going to finish your book. Like, you're not going to say that to your grandfather, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's going to be hard to break it right there. What you're going to say is, I'll do my best, Grandpa. And then some people will try to just hold on to the burden, do it themselves, just do it themselves. And then they're doing it, and they're doing it, putting all this time and energy into it, and they're like, well, what about my life? Like, I have to yeah. raise my kid. I, I have to go to this you know, trip in Europe for my job. Like, how do I do it? So someone in that situation would normally have a lot of frustration and maybe even some tears about that. Yeah. So after, to answer your question, after the emotions start flowing, 
we have a realistic conversation about that book. Well, are you the right person to do this book? Or maybe you just need to oversee and make sure and choose the right person to write the book. And then maybe you need to get an editor and hire an editor and then put that burden on their shoulders and then you supervise or you mm-hmm. guide them or you weigh in on it. You know, these things really weigh on us physically. Physically, we will feel tension in our body after this. And if you're not aware of the burden, you're just going to think, oh, it's my neck pain again. Well, yeah. it's not just your neck pain. You're carrying a burden and you haven't addressed it. Yeah. You're too busy. Yeah, and some people might even forget that they even said to their grandfather that they were going to write the book and they buried it in the back of their mind, but it's weighing down on them, you know, for years and years and years. And they don't even realize that it's affecting them because they've convinced themselves in their mind that, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But deep down, it's still pressing on them. Absolutely. Great, great, great point. I agree with that. It's kind of like wearing a backpack and you just get used to wearing it. Yeah. And it's not to take it off that you realize, oh man, that thing so heavy. That thing was, that was, that was a lot to carry. Yeah. Actually, in Queen, New York, when I used to live there, when I was working, you know, one of the things I noticed is a lot of women wore extra big bags. Like they had extra big handbags and I always marveled at how big it was. It's just a style thing at the time, I guess. And they put so many things in it. And then you'd get them on the subway and they would take it off and they'd be like, oh. And you know, they'd make an audible sound. And I'm like, I, understand. I can relate. I don't even wear a pocketbook, but I can relate to that. Yeah. And so in, in, the, in the choosing of how they're going to deal with it, you know, mm-hmm. it, as they take in it, that, I'm guessing that it's, it's getting them to a powerful place of choice. Right. And so they make that choice and that powerful decision of, okay, I'm going to choose to take some steps and handle this differently. Right. Or in the case of maybe something a little less uh, like tangible. Right. You know, it could be a burden of poverty consciousness. Right. You know, like and then how do you you know, and it's getting somebody it's not only just, you know, for the burden of the um the book, it's like, okay, the, the, well, once the book's done, then the burden goes away, right? You know, and if, if that, you know, gets delegated in the right order. But what about a burden of somebody carrying something like they're not lovable or, um, you know, money's hard and difficult or that they're always going to be in poverty or something like that? Can we go through like one of those types of experiences? Sure. The, the, those two things that you just named are actually beliefs. And beliefs are tied into burdens, but they're not the burdens themselves. What we can do is we can have beliefs about ourselves based on what has been handed down to us. So if we are, uh, I guess a belief can be seen as something that's bundled into the burden. Okay. So um, if someone believes, there's this term that I have for people that seem to collect more burdens than everyone else. Okay. It's a thing. I didn't come up with the term. And actually, someone said it in a workshop. They called themselves a pack mule. A pack now, mule? A pack mule, a pack mule is like, you know, like a, a, a beast of burden. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a horse. It's a mule that has all these packs on top of them. And their job is to carry all of these heavy things for everybody else. And then everybody else doesn't have to carry them. 
Well, this one particular person called herself a pack mule, and then everyone related to it right away. And it's huh. like people who carry numerous burdens, um, they can be like a pack mule where they, they hold on too much. And they get the message that unless they carry these things, they're not worth anything. Hmm. Yeah. Another way to see that, in, in order for them to have a place in the family, they need to perform. Gotcha. They need to do something that helps everybody else. Make yourself useful is something that you can sometimes hear. Here, make yourself useful. Don't be lazy. You know, um, unless you're doing something to serve the family, you know, there's something wrong with you. Is basically yeah. the message that this particular person and many people get. Well, if I think to answer your question, you would actually have to get to the belief that about self-worth, that I'm not good enough, or I'm not this enough, or that enough, you'd actually have to remove quite a few burdens to get there. Okay. So each will have that message, but you would have to remove more than one. And then you would need to really ask yourself, who am I without these burdens? Yeah. So a lot of this work really at the end of the realizations is basically about being self-aware. The more you are able to understand your true awareness, according to what's special about you, mm -hmm. and in this case, I think it's really about your gifts, your innate gifts, your, if you're a singer or you're empathic or you know, very artistic, you should really be able to build your life around those gifts if you choose to do so. Yeah. It's these burdens that prevent us from doing that. So really the whole transformation process from realization one to realization eight, to center your lives around your gifts and let your identity come from that mm. instead of the burdens, instead of what you should be, a good boy, a good girl, um, you know, somebody's confidant, you know, whatever it is, those identities are all tied into the burdens. So to answer your question, you have to remove quite a few burdens, look at the belief and ask that belief, really, is that true? Are you really unlovable? Or did you just get that message because your family really needed you to perform? Yeah. And then ask yourself, who am I without these burdens? Yeah. Am I? Who am I? Well, I'm an artist, or I'm a surfer, or I'm a singer, or whatever it is. So would you say that most of your work allows people to free themselves up to living their true life instead of weighed down by what they feel that they needed to do? Absolutely. I'd say it's about breaking the script that you inherited from your family, letting go of the burdens that are stuck onto that script, and then choosing your most authentic life. That's how I would sum up. Okay, that sounds better. Yeah, so summing, summing that up with it, your, your true authentic life. And now you do work all over the world, right? Or, right. And so um, now a lot of your work is done in, in these talks and then you've wrote a book that takes people through the process as well. Uh, and right. so do you want to little share a little bit? I know that you're going to be doing a talk over at Liberate Hollywood come September and right. um, in doing a little bit of you, your book will be available, book signing, things like that as well. Um, so with that, you know, um, take me through a little bit of some of these workshops and stuff that you do. 
Sure. Right now, um, really, it's about the book tour, and uh, that is about covering the first three realizations, which are coming out of survival mode, recognizing your burdens, and then unburdening the ones that are ready to go. Those are like the three steps that we focus on. Okay. I spoke those three steps because you really can do a lot in one time. Some people do it in one session. Some people do it in the activities that we do in workshops. During the talks, I take them through a body scan to detect where, where they are. And then, um, you know, we have several people who are trained in this work now, especially in the Los Angeles area. So it usually activates people and say, yeah, I'm ready to get rid of these burdens. You help me realize the burden. Now let's get rid of them. Yeah. Um, and then we have like, a team of people you can work with. Uh, so basically, going around the world and letting people know that this work is even available. Yeah. Uh, and the work I really try to do with Healing Our Bloodlines, my book, is not use jargon. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to use jargon. I didn't want to make this an energy healing textbook. I didn't want psychobabble. I didn't want it to be where someone had to be very familiar with therapy even to use it. It's written very plainly. You know, a lot of these things that we're talking about, you know, burden is a pretty neutral term, and everybody knows what it's like to carry a burden, right? Yeah. Like, it's pretty easy to detect that. So I broke it down in a way that people can do it on their own as well. So my whole uh, purpose right now for the next year or so is to go around, let people know that this your work is available, show them the first couple steps of it, and then uh, having a, giving them a resource that yeah. they can basically keep doing the work on their own when they're all juiced up and inspired from the talks. Love that. And so then, then yeah. there, besides the three steps, I just want everybody to know that there's eight steps in total, and the other five steps are really covered pretty deeply within your book, so if somebody can just kind of learn and process and do those steps without needing to be in a workshop. Correct. Every realization has the information that you would need. It has one or two activities that you can do on your own. And then it has success stories of other clients that have done it so that it's not just a theoretical thing. It's a, it's a real life example of real people that have had breakthroughs. Uh, and some of the people that, quite frankly, inspired me to write the book. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, as much as I've written the book and it was doing so, I have to give so much credit to my clients for being the ones that challenge me to figure out the problems. Uh, and sometimes they just gave, they're the ones who gave me the wisdom and I, and I give credit for that because, yeah. you know, I, I was a scribe who just captured the wisdom. that that's brilliant. People need to know that and, you know, put that in the book. Absolutely. And it's, it's, you know, and then we, we're learning just as much from our clients as the clients are learning from us, you know, and it's taking that and then showing that is also like a sign of encouragement too. when people hear other people's stories, they understand that if they could do it, I can do it. Right. You know, so I like yeah. that you put those examples in your book. Absolutely. And the other reason that I wrote the book is I want people out there who I call the catalysts. They're the people who wake up in their family first and they're usually doing all the heavy lifting and standing up for the future generations. <laughs> I want them to know that they're not alone. Mm. That all over the world, there are other catalysts and they are doing the work too. And guess what? They don't know about you and you don't know about them. 
But if you read this book, you're going to hear real stories and you're going to say, ah, someone in Japan is doing the same thing that I'm doing? No kidding. <laughs> I thought I was the only one. Yeah. No, you're not the only one. You might be lonely at times, but trust me, there are many people that come out to these talks. So many people have written to me after a talk or a workshop and they remain friends with the people they met there because, you know, two catalysts came together and they had the same challenges. And finally, it's like the sister never had, the brother they never had. It's like, yeah. wow, we go together. How nice. That's beautiful. And where can people find you? Uh, well, I'll be doing a global tour uh, yeah. starting September. So uh, Liberate Hollywood on September 7th, 7 p.m. Yeah. Uh, the first talk of my book tour. I'm very happy about that. If you're in the Los Angeles area, come out. Uh, and then I will be going to several different locations throughout L.A., New Mexico, New York, um, Japan, and uh, possibly uh, Peru by Machu Picchu. So we're still oh. working that one out. But on my website, gkhunter.com, you click on the global tour, there's always going to be something on there, either a podcast or an in-person visit where you're going to be able to, you know, be inspired firsthand to meet other catalysts. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. And if you had to leave everybody with one thing, what would it be? You're not alone if you're listening to this right So again, my last final message to everyone is that you're not alone. If you're watching this right now, chances are you are a catalyst and there is guidance, there is support, and there is encouragement waiting for you. Uh, all you got to do is ask for help and be part of this growing community of catalysts. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great questions. I appreciate the, uh, the interview. Yeah, we'll see you in September. Sounds good. Aloha. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this conversation, like it, subscribe, and share it with your friends. If you want some more amazing resources on your path of liberation, head over to liberateyourself.com and sign up for our mailing list. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, at Liberate Hollywood. All one word or Liberate Emporium. All one word. Until next time, liberate yourself.